Welcome to Shift with CJ. I'm your host CJ and together we will explore the areas of health, human performance, biohacking, psychology and much more that will inspire you to become the best version of yourself. I must agree, navigating through health isn't easy as it sounds because we use the health term as end-all be-all. But when you break it down, you have so many things to look at. You have circadian biology, you have the microbiome, you have sleeping, you have hormesis, you have hormones, you have mitochondrial health, you have exercise and movement. You can throw in some fasting, some neurochemistry, biochemistry, biohacking, breathwork, meditation. Whew, that's a long list. And that keeps continuing because all of these things can be overwhelming because you have the real science and then you have the bro science and then all these myths that people keep throwing at you. I don't know about you, but all of this looks dramatic to me and it's a kind of a mystery already. So ladies and gentlemen, today I have bought you someone really special to solve all these mysteries. He is known as the health detective and he makes everyone's job easy by sharing with the world the truth behind health. He is a former obese dude who is now a 3x best-selling author. He's a fellow podcaster. He is also a national speaker who is on a mission. And his mission is to help 1 billion people live healthy lives. And he's a founder of Keto Camp. Ben Azadi, welcome to the show. Hey, CJ, what an introduction. Thank you so much for having me on your show today. Well, um, it's my pleasure to have you. And that introduction just is all about you, man, everything that you've done. So I'm glad I can have you on the show. So normally I would ask people questions like, um, why did you have to take a deep dive into health and wellness? But in your case, you when you were 24, when, well, let's see, when you were 24, I was exploring the Great Wall of China and I was like, kind of cold when I was there. So I was running up and down and exercising, just getting my movements in. But you weighed 242 pounds and you had 34% body fat with size 38 pants. And at that point, you probably had two choices. Stay the way you are or become uncomfortable and take the hard route. Tell me, why did you take the second step, which is biologically more difficult for most people? Yeah, I love that you've done your homework here with my story. Thank you. Um, so yeah, I found myself at the age of 24 years old being both physically obese, like you pointed out, CJ, and mentally obese. I was thinking toxic thoughts. I had suicidal thoughts. I was depressed. And I was just so sick and tired of being sick and tired. I had never really mm -hmm. studied nutrition up until this point, never exercised, just played some basketball growing up. And I was lost in life. I didn't have any goals, any aspirations. If I did have a goal, it was probably the size of a pregnant ant, which is very small. <laughs> and I was just unhappy, CJ. And I wanted to end my life for months and months and months. I explored just ending my life and getting rid of the pain. And I, I knew that I was not going to do that because I didn't want to leave my mother with that devastation of of her son taking his life. So it really forced me. Uh, hitting rock bottom was a blessing for me. And I believe it's a blessing for every single person. And that's not discounting whatever challenges somebody might be going through. But hitting rock bottom was one of the best things that ever happened to me in my life because it gave me a platform 
to actually spring from. And I knew as far down as I was in the dirt, I could go in the opposite direction. And that excited me. And the reason I started to think that way was because I started to actually read books uh, from amazing authors and speakers. I started to read books from guys like Bob Proctor, Tony Robbins, Earl Nightingale, Jim Rohn, and and also females like Lisa Nichols and other incredible uh, authors out there. And it helped me actually take ownership and responsibility over my health and my results in life. Because up until that point, dude, I was playing the victim card. You know, I'm fat, I'm overweight, I'm broke, I'm unhappy because X, Y, Z. But the truth is, I am the reason for that. It was my decision. It was my thoughts. It was everything that I did leading up into that point. So when I started to read books, it empowered me. It, It didn't just motivate me. I think motivation is a symptom, by the way. I think inspiration is more important. I think finding your purpose and living on purpose with your purpose is more powerful than motivation. Now, don't don't get me wrong. I'm all for studying motivational material, but I think it'll be everlasting when you find inspiration and, and a purpose. So for me, I became the victor at the age of 24 years of life. I became the victor of my present and my future. And I said, I am no longer going to be the victim of my past. And I put my foot down. I said those words, I am responsible And I just started to focus on my health because I knew I didn't have the energy and I had a big vision. And the bigger your vision, the more energy you need. So I started to exercise. I started to eat better. I took responsibility. I started to change my my environment with the relationships I had in my life. I started to cut people out of my life. And lo and behold, CJ, nine months after that decision, I went from 250 pounds down to 170 pounds. I I lost uh, about 50, about 80 pounds of weight, and I carved out this physical six-pack that I always dreamed of being this kid who was obese and bullied and picked on. But the mm-hmm. important thing that I carved out during that transformation that I have till this day that I fine-tune every single day was a mental six-pack. I really started to think better thoughts, and that led me to a whole new world as an entrepreneur and the impact that I'm making to this day. Man, I'm so glad. I mean, I'm not glad that you hit rock bottom, but all the changes that you just described, those are just incredible. And I love that you took the word responsibility because I have done some, I'm an Indian by birth and um, I grew up learning about Hindu mythology and religion and culture. And in growing up, we used to hear a lot of stories and one of the like parables or stories, one of the most important thing that would always come up is responsibility. So when you were changing from being a victim to a victor, I believe like one of the biggest things that you can do is account yourself responsible and say that, you know what, whatever happens to me, I'm the captain of my ship. I'm going to take responsibility. And it is that part when you stop blaming the environment and blaming your cousin or like blaming your friends or whoever in your life and you say oh it's all on me and that kind of like sparks something up that's what i've heard in ancient stories and i'm glad that you bring this up and when i was doing my homework i was so surprised because um we have a lot of commonalities together um when i was growing up i was i wasn't obese but i was nearly there this was way back when i was growing up actually my high, uh, my school teacher would also call up my parents and be like, I think your kid is just super fat. He cannot even walk properly. So it got onto that stage. It was a bit embarrassing. But coming back to the point, 
we both were fat at one point in our life. We both got fit. Both of us did some CrossFit and both of us advocate some parts of the ketogenic diet and both of us fell for the vegan trap. <laughs> I was vegan for two and a half years. How long wow. were you vegan for? Yeah, a lot of similar similarities, CJ. I was vegan for uh, a year and a half, so you beat me by a year. Oh, and why did you quit the most healthiest diet for yourself and the planet, Ben? <laughs> yeah, because it's not the healthiest diet for yourself or the planet. Uh, oh, I, is you, it not? Wow. Yeah, right. What a shocker. <laughs> that might trigger some some vegans. And, you know, I think the vegan diet is mm -hmm. terrific. I think it's great short term, but long term, essentially your body begins to starve. It, it, it thrives. The body thrives off of saturated fat, cholesterol, animal products. There is not mm -hmm. one fruit or one vegetable in the world that has as much nutrients as, for example, red, red meat or even organ meat uh, or even a lot of these different animal products that are loaded with vitamins and minerals. And I, I fell for the vegan dogma. I fell for the vegan trap like, like you did as well. And I put myself in a dogmatic box for so many years saying, this is the best diet. You got to follow this diet, mm -hmm. telling all my friends and family. And then my health deteriorated. So I ended up just getting out of that box. And that's when I discovered uh, the ketogenic lifestyle. Mm -hmm. I would also agree, like when you first get onto the vegan diet, and I, obviously I'm still a member of all these communities who are vegans. And I keep telling them from time to time that, hey, guys, vegan diet is great. I mean, if you think it's great for the planet, then it's great because it's all in your health and in the perspective that you or the lens that you look at the world from. But also, when we look at science, the vegan diet is missing a few important things, such as uh, creatine, which can improve your cognition and could increase muscle output, vitamins, which we hear vegans and myself definitely have um, supplemented, like vitamin B12, which can do so many things. But one thing they don't understand is like it also builds up like these myelin sheets in the brain, which are these um, sheets that are coverings for your neurons you're missing dha you're missing carnosine which can increase antioxidant levels in the brain then there's taurine which is great and you're also missing it for anyone who's listening taurine is the kind of thing that they put in red bulls and energy drinks and it's great because it's shown to have some evidence to prevent heart diseases you take it with caffeine and it's going to give you a turbo boost and if you take it just by itself it's going to help you relax I even use it as a part of my sleep schedule. So I, me too, I don't have anything against vegans, but being a former vegan, I can kind of like say this, that is probably not the best formulated diet ever. Well said. Now, I agree with you. Now, Ben, I can ask you about so many things because again, we have similar interests, but I want to share with people how does a health detective's day look like? So talk to me, when do you, like, what time do you wake up? What do you do? Run me through your day, because I think the most answers or the most value that people can get from someone like yourself is just by looking at what you are doing on a day-to-day -day basis and then probably steal some aspects or like in, get inspiration from those aspects and kind of like implement them in their lives. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll share with you my day today. What, how did I start my day today? Woke up at 6.30. I typically wake up between 6.30 and 4, 4.45. Uh, and um, mm -hmm. I immediately said the words, 
today is going to be a great day. And then I brushed my teeth, washed my face, went back to bed to uh, write my goals and my gratitude, which I do every single morning. I'll write down 10 things I'm grateful for. I'll write down 10 things. Wow. Yeah. And then I'll write down my goals and I'll also read my Think and Grow Rich burning desire statement out loud. So after that, I, I take my dog for a walk. Uh, as the sun is rising, I'm getting the sunlight to enter my, well, not enter, but yeah, actually enter my retina and touch my skin and just, uh, I got that sunlight beaming on me. And by the way, whether it's overcast or a sunny day, you still could benefit from that. And what that does, it's syncing my hormones, my circadian rhythm with mother nature. And we are designed to do, to do that. When the sun comes up, we're supposed to rise up. When the sun goes down, shortly thereafter, we're, we're designed to go down. So we're sinking our, I'm sinking my hormones that way. So I take my dog for a walk. Now during the walk, it is, it's outdoors. It's out here in Miami Beach, Florida. So I'm taking my dog for a walk and I am not listening to music. I'm not on a call. I'm not even on my phone. I, I don't turn my phone on until about an hour after I wake up, take it off airplane mode. So as I walk my dog, I'm saying affirmations in my head. I'm saying things like, I love myself. I'm saying uh, affirmations because we we become what we think about. So I want to make sure I'm very intentional, especially in the morning when the subconscious mind is very impressionable. So it's about a 15 to 20 minute walk. I get back home and then I start making my coffee. I start making my delicious French press coffee. And as that's making, uh, as that's as I'm doing that, I have now my phone playing an audiobook. Um, this morning, I was listening to an audiobook from Michael Gerber, which is a seminar he did on the e-myth, entrepreneurial myth. I just finished up a book about Zig Ziglar and Wayne Dyer. So I'm listening to, you know, I'm still not checking my text messages or email or anything like that. I'm just listening to the audiobook. And then mm-hmm. coffee's being made. And then I um, go... Wait, let me hold you on for uh, there for a second. What kind of coffee are you drinking? Are you drinking black coffee at this point are you having some version of the bulletproof coffee or you put just cream and sugar in your coffee how do you do it definitely not cream and sugar <laughs> okay that would uh, be a bad start but that's what most of what most people do um so yeah it's it's a a bulletproof ish coffee not as much fat in there i put i'm making it for me and my girlfriend who lives with me mm-hmm. natasia and i'm putting about one tablespoon of uh, MCT oil, C8, caprylic acid, which is great for stimulating ketone production. And then one tablespoon of grass-fed ghee, very, very Indian, right? Grass-fed ghee. Yep. And then some sea salt. But keep in mind, I'm splitting that with my girlfriend. So I'm getting about half of that. Uh, so then okay. I'm blending that together when the coffee is made. And then I go grab a book. And today I head to the rooftop of my building and I read with my girlfriend, Natasia. I did a product, this little nasal spray called Zen, which is like a meditation mist. And I started my day mm-hmm. that way before I even got into my office and started my work. That was about an hour and a half after I began my, my day in terms of work. So when you're having this coffee, right, you're saying that you're just having this coffee with C8 caprylic acid, which is a derivative of medium change triglycerides. And there are like four main medium chain triglycerides. Caprylic acid is the one that boosts ketones the most. And you're not eating. Why are you not eating, Ben? Are you not having breakfast? Yeah, I would argue that I am eating. I'm eating my body fat. <laughs> so I mean, breakfast is the most healthiest meal of the day. Yeah. Don't yeah. you believe me? Don't you remember all those infomercials from the time that we were growing up? Right. We need sugar first thing in the morning, dude. Why are you having like fat 
I know. Tell us. Yeah, there's a lot of money to be made from that philosophy, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, well, so many I mean, people have made lots. Right. Yeah, breakfast is the most important meal of the day, not to mess up. It's actually the dumbest meal of the day. We are not designed to wake up and eat uh, a loaded breakfast, especially a carb-loaded breakfast. I'm having a little bit of some fat. I am still in a fasted state technically, and I'm allowing my body to tap to my fat stores and letting my liver produce ketones, and I'm the most productive when I'm in the fasted state. As a matter of fact, I know that you're in Dubai and it's past midnight right now. I'm in Miami mm-hmm. Beach, Florida, and it's 3.25 p.m. in the afternoon. I have not eaten anything yet. Uh, I knew I had a busy day today, and my body is just eating off my body fat. And when you could achieve that metabolic freedom and flexibility, it is so relieving, especially as an entrepreneur. If you could teach the body to have this metabolic shift, right, shift with CJ, <laughs> you could actually mm-hmm. start tapping into your own fat stores and sustain your energy levels pretty well that, that way, even better than by eating food. I think what is also happening is fasting or this version of it, this modified fasting, because you're not putting any carbs in and you're going around like walking, you're doing this small level of activity, you're increasing the level of adrenaline and epinephrine, which makes you gives you that cognitive boost or makes you sharper. And the fact that I'm sure you are already on the ketogenic diet but the fact that you are supplementing your body with a precursor to ketones, which is actually a preferred fuel source for everything in the body when you compare it to carbohydrates like having an orange juice in the morning. And what ketones, and this is for the audience, because Ben, I know you know about this. Yeah. What ketones does actually, ketones have more energy per molecule um, than carbohydrates. So what happens is, 100 billion neurons which are firing up first thing in the morning they technically do not prefer carbohydrates because they get less energy from them but they love having ketones that's why ben is having that coffee with c8 because that easily converts to ketones beta hydroxybutyrate which is a type of ketone in the body and when you when you start um getting Uh, deeper into your fast let's say it's 11 12 1 2 3 you're also increasing other things in your body like human growth hormone which can help you burn fat and you know you're recruiting so many of the stem cells um, which also help with so many other different things i mean this is the body's fasting is one of the body's natural way to recruiting all these different stem cells which have the ability to diversify into any other cell in the body And you're not spending thousands of dollars like Hollywood celebrities for like stem cell treatments. And what I think one of the most important things that fasting also does, and that's why probably you're not hungry, is that it kind of influences the interplay between hormones, specifically satiety and hunger hormones. There's one, which is ghrelin, which is your hunger hormone, which keeps telling you that, hey, you got to eat. And we have seen associations with carbohydrate metabolism and ghrelin that they kind of go hand in hand. So the more carbohydrates you eat, the more you can have ghrelin and ghrelin isn't that great for you. But what also happens is fasting resets another hormone in the body, which is leptin. And in some research that I've seen, I can I can for sure say that leptin is like the kingpin of all hormones. It can be used for so many things. Just resetting leptin can you know, influence um, or even reverse diabetes and so many other factors. So I'm so glad that you brought that up and you're on point with that one. 
Well said. You've been you, you study. I, I'm impressed. Good job. You said it well. Thank you. Thanks for that. That's why I said we are kind of like um, very same in our thought processes. That's why I was up and I wanted to have this conversation with you. In one of your books, you mentioned the PFF formula for breakfast, which is that you don't have to have breakfast, but if you had to have breakfast, then you'll have protein, fiber, and fat. Yeah. Do you still go by that philosophy, or um, something has changed in all these years? Yeah, I do. If you know, if you do choose to have breakfast, which is totally fine, you could flip the the script and have breakfast and skip dinner, sort of deal. Uh, the PFF formula is terrific, which I wrote about in my book, The Perfect Health Booklet, as you obviously read. Good job. Um, the reason is because the goal is to not stimulate glucose and insulin, or I should say, not stimulate it very, very high. You're going to get a stimulation mm-hmm. response from protein, fat, and fiber. But with protein, fat, and fiber, the response is more of a leveled response. You might get a small squirt of insulin of glucose, and then insulin comes in and takes care of business to take the glucose out of the bloodstream, put it into your cells. But it's going to give you better energy levels, more fat burning, and you could even stay in ketosis with that method. But when you have the opposite approach, which is the, the stupid American diet, the standard American diet, and even all across the world, not just in America, what are they doing? They're eating the opposite of that. They're eating the carbohydrate, loaded in carbohydrate breakfast. You, you talked about the orange juice, right? But it's not just that. Mm-hmm. It's the, the bagels who believe, right, CJ, that, oh, I'm just going to, I eat a healthy breakfast. Oh, what do you eat? I have two slices of whole wheat bread and oatmeal and I have a, a, a juice, right? You know, like a, a, a grapefruit juice or something like that. That is a load of carbohydrates that's going to give you a massive amount of glucose. And what's going to happen, they're going to feel good eating that they're going to feel good right after they eat that. And then as their blood sugars drop rapidly, they're going to feel like crap. And then they're going to, their brain's going to send the body intense signals to go get another glucose spike. Our glucose is dropping. We need to do that. So with carbs, you get that. With the protein, fat, and fiber, the PFF formula, you won't get that because we know that protein, yes, protein does have a glucose response, but it's more of a phase two insulin response, not a phase one response. So it's not a big glucose response. Fat, if you just had fat alone, it does not even touch the dial on glucose and insulin. So by having protein, fat, and fiber, and then the fiber helps slow down. I would definitely agree. And um, yeah, so the PFF formula. Now, if you're listening, this is not very hard to remember. And Ben's broken it down, abbreviated for you. So, you know, you don't even have to stop driving the car. Just remember PFF. And that's what you are looking for when you're having breakfast the next time. Now, Ben, you told me that you wake up around 6.30, 6.45-ish. How long are you sleeping for? I sleep for about eight hours per night. So I go oh. to bed around mm, 10 p.m. If it was up to me, I would go to bed like at 8.30, but my girlfriend doesn't like the thought of that. So um, I sleep for about eight hours, eight and a half hours each night. Man, I've tried to go to bed around that time, but for me, I don't know if... I, I don't want to blame it on others. I want to take responsibility of it, but it just doesn't happen. It's always like 11, 11.30. But today, I, even later. <laughs> yeah, today, even later. Yeah, and tomorrow I have a meeting with a client, so, but that's okay. Sometimes <laughs> we've got we've to gotta let stress come in and then let the 
process of hormesis kick in and then you know we just get a bit stronger so i'm okay with that but what i love about you is that man you are actually sleeping for eight hours now tell me when you were on your journey to lose weight and probably you've been mentored by so many great personalities out there how early did you find out that sleeping can influence your ability to lose weight yeah, sleep is so important. It is uh, the foundation for our health. So yeah, I, I learned early on that if I didn't sleep well, I was not going to get the results I want, not just my fat loss, but just I didn't feel good. And I know nothing affects me more than a poor night of sleep. I could eat like crap. I could be inactive and not exercise for days, but I could get through that and I could be fine. But if I got just one really bad night of sleep, then I'm destroyed. I need to recover from that. So I learned early on uh, throughout my journey that when you optimize your sleep, everything comes more efficient. Now, in the beginning, I, I didn't have that philosophy. I, I, used, I used to have the I'll sleep when I'm dead philosophy and I used to just skip mm -hmm. sleep. But I quickly learned that is a recipe for failure. You, you know, I could get much more done getting more sleep and having less time to work than if I sacrificed my sleep and had more time to work because I'm more productive, I'm more creative, I'm more resilient, more mentally mentally sharp when I get good sleep. So even though I might have more hours in the day by sacrificing my sleep, I get less done because I'm just not as on top of my game because I didn't get that quality sleep. Yeah, quality over quantity. That fits sleep correctly. And what happens to me is like, I um, also understand how important and powerful sleep is for everything. And most of the times when I come from a background of being fat, so everyone keeps asking me, hey, if you were so fat, how did you lose weight? And then I tell them one thing that you have to do is probably the most easiest because, yeah, going to the gym and running a lot or lifting weights, it helps, but it is not the key thing that's going to help you lose weight. What Some of the most easiest things that you can do because I understand working out can be hard for someone, is just to go to bed on time and respect your circadian rhythm. And you know, Ben, every time I say this, and I say this with so much of conviction, because like I've read about it, I know how it works, and just by look, experimenting with my own self, I always get looks like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. how, can sleep, how can sleep impact my weight loss? And how can sleep impact my fat loss? And it is so difficult for me to explain to my friends, my neighbor, or even my you know, clients that, hey, if you can just fix your sleep. And I think this is just a normal problem with, with everyone in Dubai. Like everyone's sleep is just so messed up, probably because we have this culture of being of like, the city is running 24 seven. It's like New York or something like this, you know, everything is available all the time. And here it's summer most of the time. So a lot of the times only in the night, the weather gets cooler and everyone kind of like steps out. So I guess all of those things kind of like contribute to it. But also I, I have this other idea that I, um, that I got to know recently is that we also burn fat while breathing. Have you heard about this before? Yeah, yeah, we do. And we breathe a lot when we're sleeping. Exactly. And normally people would like to hear some kind of like a statement or statistics. So if you're in for it, the audience, 
here's your sleeping statistics for the day. Sleeping for an hour more every day can result in losing, wait for it, almost 50, 15 pounds per year. And that is, you're losing 15 pounds for not doing anything, just giving your brain and body some rest. Mm. That's so have a more less is more philosophy right there. Exactly. So that doesn't take long. But also one of the biggest problems that we have right now is that people cannot sleep. There are people who have some kind of sleeping disorder, sleeping issues. And I know that you have written a book on sleeping, which is called The Power of Sleep. Can you tell us what are some of your hacks or techniques that you use to kind of like um, enhance your sleep? And I'll I'll compare this to mine. So every time you say something, if I if I do it as well, I'll say me too. Let's see. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll start with some practical things. Uh, mm-hmm. A good night of sleep actually starts the morning of. So I mentioned getting sunlight. Not only does it help sync your circadian rhythm, like I mentioned, but when you get sun during the day, even on an overcast day, you are you are signaling signaling to your body to actually store, to produce and store melatonin. And that is going to set you up for the night ahead because melatonin, yes, it's a sleep hormone. It's also antioxidants. It's an uh, antioxidant. It's cancer-fighting. And we want melatonin to help you get sleep. So the morning routine is very important throughout the whole mm-hmm. day. It's important to get some sun to start storing that melatonin. But did you know that um, when you don't have like a regular sleep pattern, your risk for breast cancer goes up by 200%. And that is probably because of the melatonin signaling that you're talking about, because melatonin only gets resetted after about at least after 12 hours after you hit the first sunlight in the morning. And I like that you bring it up that even in Dubai, we don't have many cloudy days, but um, all over the world, if you're listening in and you have that overcast day, you should know that even on an overcast day, you're probably getting more than 10,000 lux of light. And that is way too much to stimulate all of those um, all of those melanopsin signaling pathways, which are behind your retina and which can kind of like get into the SCN or the supercharismatic nucleus and reprogram your body clock and peripheral clocks and things like that. So me too. I also have a dog and I go with them first thing in the morning for 20 minutes. I love it. Yeah. That's a cool little hack. So if you have a pet, that's very easy for you to do. Even if you don't, I mean, you could go on your balcony. There's so many things you can do, go in your backyard. So, yeah, well said, CJ. When you have, I mean, the studies are clear. Low amounts of melatonin increases your cancer risk, and you just shared that about the breast cancer. But I would, uh, I haven't looked at all the research here, but I would venture to guess a lot of other cancers as well. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, uh, going back to the tip. So that's a good tip right there. And then at nighttime, having a routine as well, you know, signaling, having these cues to your body that it knows it's time to start winding down and get ready for bed. So for me, my cues are to put on my blue light blocking glasses. Blue light is the light that comes out of uh, like fluorescent lights. It's called junk light. Your brain has to filter it mm-hmm. out. So it could take some resources away from uh, other things and, and use it just to filter out the junk light. So actually during the day, I'm wearing, I'm wearing glasses right now, not because they're prescription, but because they are blue light for the day. They're blue light blocking glasses, which is helping me filter out the junk light and not allowing my brain to do that. 
So at night, I have the ones that are orange that help filter out the lights in my apartment. And then mm -hmm. that's helping my body uh, downregulate cortisol, which is that stress hormone, that energy hormone, that fight or flight hormone. We want that starting to go down throughout the day and at night. So when you wear that, it helps bring that down. And then it also helps your body naturally produce melatonin. So that's my, that's my first cue. Do you do something like that? Yeah, me too. In fact, right now, as we're speaking, I'm standing in, um, people will get a good idea when they have a look at the video of this. So basically I have these red uh, lights in my house. So I have like a daylight and I have the night version. The night version has like red lights all around. I also have a red and near infrared light panel, which is under my standing desk, standing workstation right now. And that is shining. I'm also like you wearing a red um, blue light blocking glasses with uh, red lenses, which not only blocks blue light, but also blocks green and violet light, which blue light normally lasts from 380 nanometers when you look at the wavelength of light to 500 nanometers. But above 500 nanometers, like around 560 nanometers all the way to 600 nanometers, there are also two other spectrums of light, which kind of can trick your brain into believing that it's sunlight outside. Those are green and violet light. So I'm having these red, super red glasses. And like you, throughout the day, I have three sets of uh, blue light blocking glasses. The red, which I'm wearing right now. And what I also do, Ben, is that I wear the red glasses first thing in the morning for at least 15 to 20 minutes. Because unlike you, I don't wake up so early. But I also want to get kind of like biohack or trick my brain into believing that you know i'm still getting the morning red spectrum of sunlight which you're probably getting while walking so what i do is i put on my red glasses so my body is still kind of in this state of trance and it's feeling that you know it's still um it's like sunlight and then i sit and meditate in front of my red light panel so i'm kind of like tricking my hormones to slowly start coming up before i expose them to like full-on dubai sunlight i love that spoken like a true biohacker man that's some, some great biohacking tips right there thanks man and also like throughout the day i have um as i mentioned like three different glasses so the first one is like kind of a clear glass which i use till like 12 um 12 p.m and these are something they block something around in the range of 30 to 40 percent of the blue light then i have these yellow glasses which i would wear till the evening uh, especially when I'm working in front of a computer screen. Also, my computer screen has a special software that um, is called Iris. If people want to look it up, it blocks blue light and it also blocks the back uh, flicker that comes from the screen. So I'm using these yellow glasses, which block up to 70 or 80 percent, give or take, um, to just kind of like ease my day into it, because also um, for anyone who's listening, you got to understand that just because blue light is kind of like it gives you a lot of other issues like macular degeneration and it's bad for your retina, but it is essential. So you don't have to completely block 100% of the blue light. But as the day progresses, sunlight also has different, um, different wavelengths of brew and sunlight keeps changing. So you kind of like have to get adjusted. That's why I take on this strategy of like, going from blocking a little bit of blue light and then a little bit more and then completely blocking it. 
I love that. It, 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 um, it matches our natural rhythm, how we want to block a little bit, or I, I should say we want cortisol in the morning. So you're still allowing that, but then throughout the day, you want to see it taper down. So that routine is a great routine. It's uh, very advanced. So it's, it's not necessary, but I think it could help any human being to do that, that routine. So I love it, dude. Good job. Thanks, man. And then you speak about, um, these cues, um, what kind of cues are you giving your body? Are you journaling at night? Are you, I know you're doing like this gratitude thing and you're doing like 10. I normally do three in the morning and I try to get like three in the evening, but you know, like sometimes, I mean, there are so many things to be grateful for, but I try not to repeat the same thing again and again. And then it kind of gets challenging. I'm like, Oh, what do I write about now? Cause my day isn't even started yet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in, in the morning when I do my gratitude, I'll do 10, 10 things and it's usually the same things. But at night when I do my gratitude again, it's uh, 10, sometimes 15 things that happened during the day. And it could be something as simple as, you know, this morning I drove to South Beach for a chiropractic appointment. So I would write down, great, I'm grateful to drive to the chiropractic office safely, get adjusted and come back home safely. So things throughout that happen throughout mm-hmm. the day, like for example, this interview will go in my book tonight. So I do write down my gratitude at night. I read my burning desire statement and I write down my goals again. That's something I do for sure. Before I even get to that though, I, I also take a, usually a hot shower about an hour before bed. I start putting down the thermostat in my uh, apartment to uh, 62 degrees Fahrenheit, which is really cold. The body loves cold for that deep Delta stage four sleep. And then I make sure I'm not getting stimulated, right? I'm not watching for sure. Not watching the news. I don't do that anyways, but I'm not watching anything that's going to get my heart rate up. So I'll wind down gradually, maybe study or watch a TV show with my girlfriend, something lighthearted, funny. Uh, and then my body knows. Like once it hits 9.15 at night, 9.30, I start to really feel like, okay, it's getting close to bed. So I'll take some magnesium sometimes. I'll take some CBD oil. I'll uh, And then I'll just start going to my routine. So that's a signal for my body. I've done this so often over the years that my body knows. And it's hard, very difficult for me to actually stay past 12 a.m. like you are right now. Like For example, mm-hmm. there's only two times per year that I stay pa- up past 12, which is number one, Christmas Eve, because my girlfriend likes to stay up until 12 a.m. to do the present thing. And then New Year's Eve, because my girlfriend likes to stay up to. <laughs> to do the countdown. Other than that, I'm like, I, w- I want to go to bed at 9, 30, 10. So uh, that's the way that I, I thrive personally. I wake up at 6.30 and I, I wake up refreshed. I don't wake up like, ah, oh, it's 15, 30 minutes, 45 minutes to get ready to go. I wake up and mm-hmm. I'm ready to go right when I, when I wake up in the morning. One of the most important things that I learned from reading your books is that something I've never think about before. And I want to share that with the audience. So in one of Ben's book, he says that you need a heart rate of 60 beats per minute or below to enter a state of unconsciousness, which is the time you're going to fall asleep. Mm-hmm. And each time, like what's anyone who's listening to this, think about your life. If you have a routine and you're kind of like cutting off all electronics one hour before, just because you're not looking at those blue light, or if you have a more advanced reason that the EMFs from the, um, the electromagnetic frequencies from the phone might interfere with your pineal glands, ability to produce melatonin, that's even better. But the reality is over 90% of us 
or just looking at our phones. And what Ben says is that each time you look at your phone and then you're seeing that comment or that like that you've had on Instagram, that kind of like increases your heartbeat. And it is something so basic, but I think no one really thinks about it. And I'm so glad, Ben, that you shared it with us because now when I think of it, I'm like, it's so simple that, you know, it's like, it was stupid of me not to think something like this. So I want everyone to listen and kind of like wrap around, wrap your head around this. If you're sleeping, the last thing you want to do is like check your phone because if there is something which is exciting or sad or whatever, that's going to kind of like keep you up. So please don't do that. And Benny also mentioned that, you know, when you wake up in the morning, you're super energized and, you know, you're not waiting for like 45 minutes, one hour. But, you know, what is common in the people? I mean, if you've had a bad night of sleep, that is one thing. But if you haven't had a bad night of sleep and then you wake up and you're super tired and stuff, then most of the times when I speak to people, they tell me that they snooze a lot. Now, my guess is that you're not snoozing. Am I correct? I don't snooze. I don't even use an alarm clock. So there's no snooze button for me to even hit. Oh, wow. And why don't you use an alarm clock? Well, first of all, I mean, what a terrible name. Alarm clock. (laughs) I, I, Mm, I agree. It's not healthy to be woken up that way. So I actually use what's called a sun simulation lamp. Uh, which Fancy. I, yeah, which actually is a, a little lamp, a little bulb that sits across my bed on the on the nightstand. And what it does, let's say I, I'll set it to 6.30, but around 6 a.m., it starts to light up very, very uh, small, dim light. And then every five minutes or so, it gets a little bit brighter, a little bit brighter. And then by 6.30, it's fully lit, like if the sun is coming into my, my bedroom. And it's also, you could, ch- you could choose to play different sounds, like birds chirping or like some, some nice music. But it, it gradually wakes me up. It's not alerting me to wake up, um, which is much better. So I don't hit any snooze button. I wake up from that. You know, I, I say the words, today's going to be a great day. And I wake up and I, and I go about my day. Well, that is another biohack that I must consider having. At this time, I don't use alarm clocks as well. And one of the reasons why I don't use alarm clocks is because we, when we're sleeping, we're going through a lot of sleep cycles. And normally, when you're kind of like trying to wake up, your sleep cycles slow down. And God forbid, if your alarm clock wakes you up in the middle of a sleep cycle, that is probably the time that you're going to wake up and you're going to be tired because your sleep cycle normally consists of like 90 minutes. Correct. And if you kind of like wake up between that sleep cycle, it can be a like problem for you. I mean, it's not like you're going you're gonna to bang your head somewhere, but it's going to be uncomfortable. And when you're uncomfortable during the day, your day isn't going to be well. And that's the same with snoozing as well, because imagine this, you wake up and everything is good, and then you put your alarm to snooze. What happens is you are again starting a new cycle for 90 minutes. But guess what? Normally, all of us put in snooze time of only 10 minutes. So if you wake up after 10 minutes, you're again disturbing your 90-minute sleep cycle. And some studies have also shown that snoozing can kind of like, the effects of snoozing can last for like four hours. So I'm sure like if you're like Ben and you wake up like 6.45 and then if your really day starts at 7, 
then that's like eight, nine, 10, 11. Man, you can be in like with a headache till 11. So consider not doing that. And that will kind of like help you take on your day. Yeah. Now, and I was going to just piggyback off of that. Um, yeah, that was in Mel, Mel Robbins wrote the book, The Five Second Rule. And she talks about that. When you hit snooze and you go back to sleep for like whatever, 10, 15 minutes, might feel good at that moment, but it's going to be crappy sleep and it could impair your productivity for up to four hours. So you might you might get a headache or not, but you're not going to be as productive as you could be for up to four hours. So the whole um, slogan, you snooze, you lose, it's absolutely correct. Like when you hit the snooze button, there shouldn't even be an option for you to hit the snooze button. And something you can do if you do not want to, you know, if you want to continue using your your phone or your alarm clock, put it very far away. So you have to actually go and stand up to actually go and hit the snooze button. Because by the time you stand up and go back to your bed, you might be more likely to just get the day started. Okay, so that's another hack for all you listeners out there. Put your phone away from you. And this will help because if you, I mean, you should be restricting fluids a few hours before because nocturia, which is waking up in the middle of the night to go and pee, can also disturb your productivity the next day because you know you're just breaking those sleep cycles again. But chances are, if you wake up to pee, you're also going to check your phone. So if that phone is far away, you can escape that. So that's like hitting two birds with one stone. Now, when you get to your office, Ben, are you sitting down? Are you standing up? Do you have... Because I've seen you do a lot of videos and most of in your videos, it seems like you're on a standing workstation like I am and you know, mm-hmm. you're recording most of the things from there. Am I correct? Yeah, I have a stand-up desk just like you. I'm standing right now, um, so I stand for most of the day. Okay. Did Are you standing for most of the day because you read somewhere or someone told you that sitting is a new smoking, or do you actually believe <laughs> sitting is a new smoking? Yeah, I wrote that in my book, didn't I? <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. sitting is the new smoking. Uh, a lot of people think that they could sit all day long seven, eight hours, even five, six hours, which is bad. And they could make up for that with like a 60 minute workout. When in reality, mm-hmm. you, you, you can't make up with, with for that with a 60 minute workout. And you might be even more likely to hurt yourself with that workout and even get sick. So the goal is movement over exercise. The goal is mm-hmm. to be standing throughout the day. And when you're standing, you're more energized. You know, when you're doing an interview like I'm doing here with CJ, we're both standing, we feel more energized versus sitting down. And we know that when you sit down too often, you get that forward head tilt, you get that text neck when you're always looking down on your phone. Mm-hmm. Over time, that could lead to the degeneration of your disc. It could lead to a lot of injuries when you're exercising and working out. So just having a hack like that, and I know some people, they can't, they don't have the luxury like we do. We invested in this and we're super blessed, but health is not an expense. Health is is an investment. And if you work at a corporation or a job, here's what I would do. I would go to my boss and say, you know what? Sitting in the chair all day long, I'm not as productive and I'm, I'm getting some back pain. I need to go see a chiropractor. But if I just had a desk where I could stand up, maybe we could get creative, we could invest in something or we could do something that we could uh, work on here. But if I were to stand up, not only will I be healthier, so I'll show up more often, but I'll be more productive. And I I would have that conversation. A lot of companies are investing in the health of their workers. So they would 
buy you that that stand-up desk. They would buy you something to help you be more productive. So you have to word it that way. How could it benefit the company? And it would benefit them because it would be more energized and more productive and you would have less sick days just by standing up more than sitting down. I completely agree. And I definitely agree that some people don't have that luxury of investing into a standing desk. And why go so far? I'm looking at myself a few years ago when I was just like, oh, I want to do this because this is good for me. But then I Googled. At that time, Ben, like a few years ago, standing desks were even more expensive than they are right now. So I Googled um, like standing desk in Dubai. And Dubai at that time, it wasn't a phenomenon. So it was like more expensive because they had to import it from probably US or somewhere in Europe. And then I'm like, oh, no, I, I mean, it's kind of expensive right now. And it's out of my budget. So what I did was I went to Ikea. And in Ikea, I was looking for something for my house and I found this bar. I mean, the thing is, it's like a shelf that can be um, drilled into the wall and it kind of like opens up, but um, it does serve as a very, very good standing desk. All I had to do was just fix a part of my house. I was like, okay, this is the place that's going to be the standing desk. And I just drilled it into the wall and it is like as cheap as um $15 or like $10 so that's another hack you guys you don't have to kind of like always go out and get the most expensive things but make do with whatever you have in your environment great and tip. i like yeah that. it doesn't have to be expensive you're right you could do it yourself it could be like a cocktail cocktail table so i love that exactly, great tip. yeah and also i love that you said that you know sitting so many people are just um and i mean at a point some uh, years back in my life i was the same i was like i'm gonna lie down on the couch all day because i don't want to hurt my gains but <laughs> i will go to the gym and like destroy myself for that one hour but what i tell people and advise people right now in fact i'm doing this um thing on facebook and on youtube where i'm talking for this entire month about um unorthodox ways of like you know losing weight and kind of like not just going and exercising all the time but like what are the other hacks and techniques that you can use to lose weight and one of the things that i speak about is neat which stands for a non-exercise activity thermogenesis which is like you know when we're walking our dogs or when we're uh, standing on this um work standing workstation and neat has shown to have a bigger impact on your weight loss than actually going to the gym. Yeah. Because when you sit for extended for a few extended periods of time, this is what happens. Your metabolism will start slowing down as much as 90% after the first 30 minutes of sitting down. The enzymes, which are kind of like moving your bad fat from your arteries into your muscles where they get burned, they slow down. The muscles in your lower body are turned off completely. And after two hours, you can even see cholesterol, the good cholesterol, it drops by 20%. And if you can just get up for five minutes, that solves all the problems. So people who are even sitting down, I always tell them like, all right, you cannot stand up for a long time right now. But every 30 minutes, make sure you put an alarm or do anything that can help you remember, but stand up in after 30 minutes. And standing is also very important because it's, the most simplest hack that people can use and normally people get impressed by numbers so i'm going to throw a set of numbers so that people can run their heads around it and we'll definitely make people stand right now shall we let's do it 
Good. So here's pure science, guys. Now, there is a lot of universities like University of Chester and like other universities who are backing this up. But when you stand, you will raise your heartbeat by 10 beats per minute. Now you must be thinking, oh, CJ, what's 10 beats going to do for me? That doesn't sound a lot, but 10 beats per minute accounts for 50 calories being burned per hour. Now, if you stand just for less than, I mean, you're working for seven, eight hours a day average. Even if you stand for as less as three hours a day, that would mean 150 calories burned per day. Mm -hmm. And then you multiply that by five because we're working five days a week. That makes 750 calories per week. In a month, you'll be burning 3,000 calories. And just multiply by 12, that is 36,000 calories. Wait, and now I know someone in the audience is going to be like challenging this and they'll be like, hey, we don't work for 12 months in a year. Okay, even if you don't work for 12 months in a year, let's take one month off for your vacation. Let's take one month off for all the national holidays. You are still left with 30,000 calories and Ben, do you know that is like equivalent to not running one, not two, not three, but 10 marathons in a year. Wow. And if you do the math, that is eight pounds of pure fat gone. Yeah, that's a great tip right there. And you could you could also those are awesome stats, by the way. Good job. But you could you could also do things like parking farther than you need to and or taking the stairs, all these little things that accumulate. And taking breaks where we stand up, like CJ just said, it has a, a cumulative effect. And it's these really small tweaks that lead to giant peaks. So I love that. Thanks, man. Thanks so much. All right, Ben, tell me, if you were to give our audience one tip from whatever you've learned, I mean, um, guys, Ben is not only this hell detective, but he, as you heard, he is an entrepreneur. He studies a lot of business things, probably psychology, motivation, so many things. So Ben, I don't want you to limit to just health, but throw at us any one tip that you would want to give someone who's listening to this show today. Thank you for the kind words. Uh, yeah, the one tip I would say is you got to exercise before you exercise. So we think human beings think about 60,000 thoughts every single day. And most of those thoughts, about 90 to 95% of those thoughts are the same thoughts from the day before and the day before and the day before, which are typically negative thoughts. And they're learned behaviors called paradigms. And we get what we think about. We don't get what we want in life. We get what we are and what we are are those thoughts. So if we could change those thoughts, we could change our life. We could change our future. So I would say get really good at becoming aware of negative thoughts, self-limiting beliefs, because we all get them. I get them to this day. But if you could get really good at changing your thought, which is your greatest power, from a negative thought to a positive thought, then you start feeding more energy to what you do want. So you start feeding energy to positive things, and there's a universal law that states you get what you feed energy to. Whatever you feed energy energy to expands, good or bad. Most people are feeding energy. They're complaining. They're victims. They're thinking about what's not working. And guess what? They get more to complain about. 
they get more of what's not working and they get more of a victim mindset. So we need to get really diligent. I encourage your audience to get really diligent with thinking better thoughts. And it's tricky because those thoughts are all day long. It's the subconscious mind is on autopilot. It's when you're walking your dog. It's when you're brushing your teeth. It's when you're using the bathroom, washing dishes. All those thoughts determine our future. So start choosing better thoughts and then everything else that you're doing, improving your sleep, maybe doing keto, intermittent fasting, taking these supplements, all that will work even more efficiently. And the opposite is true. If you do all those things, you're eating good, you're taking the best supplements in the world, you're exercising, but you have toxic thoughts, well, you cannot heal a body that has hate. You cannot heal a body that you hate. So it starts with self-love. It starts with gratitude, which are two of the biggest healers that we have in this world. So what we appreciate appreciates. So let's start appreciating all the things that we have right in front of us that we could manifest right now and then in the future. Very well said, Ben. I love what you just said. And uh, a part of it I apply in my life. And I would definitely encourage everyone who's listening to this to know that what you appreciate, appreciates. And this kind of reminds me of a quote out of Buddha. I think it was Buddha who said that all that we are is all that we have thought about. And for me, I have like two theories on this because like I have this theory that, you know, your thought is creating a vibration and that vibration is attracting the same things which are on the same vibrational frequencies. But also there is in quantum physics, they say that there is this effect called the observer effect. And what the observer effect is, is that you can influence anything in this three-dimensional reality by observing it. So when you break things down from... You know, you can break things down into energy, wave, particle, atoms, neutrons, protons. And all of these things can be influenced when you look at them. I mean, there have been so many experiments done. So when you're sitting on the observer seat, if you're observing negative thoughts, then you're actually influencing all these particles and waves to form a reality which will present itself to you very soon if you have the same vibration of thoughts. Mm. And the second thing, and this is why probably you have to become more, you know, you're, you have to be confident, you have to show more love because love vibrates at a higher frequency than hate, jealousy, envy, and all these things. And as Ben said, we have 60,000 or more thoughts, guys. These thoughts are coming to us every day. And also, forget about the thoughts. There are also environmental inputs that are coming to us there. And there are like thousands and thousands of environmental inputs. That's like right. when you're walking on the street, there are people trying to grab your attention. You know, these advertising campaigns, like people on the street. And your body has one way to figure, I mean, sort this out. It is called the reticular activating system. It's a part of your brain or a part in your brain, which whose role is to like filter out information and kind of give you what you were thinking. So let's say if you're thinking about getting a job, your reticular art activating system or the RAS is responsible for filtering out all of these thoughts and these inputs in the environment and probably just presenting to you the thing that matches what you're thinking with, like getting a job. So you might call up a friend who is working in HR. You might find that website where your previous, like, you know, 
girlfriend got uh, a job onto, you know, things like this. So what Ben is saying is completely like, you know, you can even prove this scientifically. It is the observer effect. It is the RAS theory. And there are like thousands and thousands more. So I want everyone to take that very seriously. Yeah, and then, that's a great, great way to explain it. Uh, you're very well versed in how the brain works. Uh, a perfect example, I mentioned a few minutes ago when we we're talking about snooze, uh, the five second rule, the book by Mel Robbins. And literally, I, I just glanced over at my bookshelf and I have, I have like hundreds of books here, but that one just stood out to me, <laughs> uh, the five second rule, because I had just activated the RAS by mentioning it. So to your point, that's exactly how it works. Yeah. And uh, Ben, you've been doing great things. I really appreciate what you've brought to the world, the knowledge, the wisdom, the experience. You you do whatever you say, and that is very impressive, and I respect you for that. If someone who's listening and they want to find out more about you, you know, probably sign up to one of your courses, read one of your books, what is the best way for someone to reach you? Yeah, thank you, CJ. This has been fun. You're a great host. It's clear that you do a lot of studying. I love that. We are very similar in that aspect and many, many other aspects. So the best thank place... You. Yeah, you're welcome. The best place to check me out would be my YouTube channel. I have a big audience there and we are very active on YouTube. I go live every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Eastern time. I answer questions. So that's youtube.com slash keto camp. Camp is my company. Camp is spelled with the K. Keto camp is my company. Camp is spelled with the K. And then the Keto Camp podcast. And I'm, I'm, I'm all over the place, all social media platforms now. I'm doing a lot on Clubhouse as well. So you can just look me up on any of those. And I would be grateful to connect with anybody who heard this and resonated with it. I'd love to hear about that and just uh, give CJ a, a review for his podcast. It really helps the show grow. And uh, I enjoy the conversation. Yeah, and um, I always see Ben going live on Instagram. So if you're on Instagram, just jump on. You can, and he's always answering the comment section, guys. So here's a hack for you if you want to grab his attention: get onto Instagram. I right, Ben. Live. I was just live for part of your interview as well on Instagram. They were hearing. Oh, it. were you? Okay, perfect. Yeah. Amazing. Um, all right, Ben. Good night. Have a good day. Talk to you soon, hopefully. Yes, brother. Thank you, CJ. Take care. Your time and presence with us through this podcast is highly appreciated. If you want to learn more, then head over to our website, www.shiftwithcj.com.